It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you want to talk a little bit uh, about the the lateral passing game? Because we got some more insight on uh, Tuesday afternoon from Eddie Berflus at Hallis Hall, and I know that was a point of contention I, for a lot of people in our office. I would love to hear more about what Matt Berflus had to say in explaining what was a frustrating, frustrating thing to watch, and I interpreted it without before I heard what he had to say on Tuesday afternoon as a lack of trust between the play caller and the quarterback or the play the Justin Fields is not a game manager and when you have 21 passes at or behind the line of scrimmage you're treating him like one and basically you're saying we don't trust you to throw the ball down the field maybe that's an overreaction but that was my first one so this is another discussion that I think is is layered and nuanced in, in a very meaningful way because I felt that there was a level of dismay that mushroomed on social media Monday night that was incongruent with what was being felt inside the building, particularly on the Bears' sideline. After the game, I specifically talked to Justin and Matt and Cole Komet and DJ Moore and all of those players in, in the chess match that went on Monday night went into that chess match understanding that this was going to be a different game plan. The Bears tried something completely different six weeks ago against the Vikings, and we know what the results were. The passing attack was completely stymied. The quarterback was flustered. He was sacked a bunch, pressured more, and then hurt his thumb and missed a month of the season. They had to make an adjustment with their game plan to account for all of the pressure and the heat that Brian Flores was going to bring and the way that they bring it from both sides and, and, and doing things where it's either bringing everybody or showing it and then dropping out. And, and that like that, the play that Justin got hurt on was it show it all and then drop back and then make the quarterback make decisions, which this quarterback over three seasons and 30 plus starts hasn't been great at. We asked Luke Getze to adjust. We asked him to do, to do these things to, to more, uh, suitably put his players in position to succeed. And that's the, the the path they chose for that game on Monday night. Now, were there too many horizontal passes? Probably. Was it this disastrous game plan that it seemed to be made out to be in, in forums on social media? Absolutely not. I mean, Justin Fields surpassed his passing yard total. I think it was on the second drive from the first time that he played the Vikings six weeks ago when he had seven possessions and, and two and a half quarters. So they obviously got some things unlocked that they didn't, unlock in the first game and now it's a matter of just finding the balance and so on Tuesday we had a chance to circle back with Matty Berflus who gave us some thoughts after the game on Monday but usually a coach has a little bit broader of a perspective after he rewatches the film and Kevin Fishbane started by asking you know why weren't there more slants or shots over the middle and Matt was very forward in saying look like he described it as packing the paint in terms of what the Vikings defense does at times with with putting a coverage together that's got three three deep in the secondary and two guys across the middle that takes away some things. And so he, he thought that it was wise of them to attack to the perimeter. He thought spitting the ball out, which was his phraseology for the last several days to the skill on the outside and doing that would do things to loosen up the Vikings defense. I asked him as a follow-up when you rewatched it, did you still find the balance of hitting some of those things horizontally while still stretching the field? And his indication was that he thought that there were more explosive plays that were there and more explosive opportunities to have 
plays down the field and whether it was something that they checked out of or, or receivers that they just didn't see, they didn't get what they wanted. Now he said they had eight explosive plays on the night. I went back and tried to count by my metrics and I didn't get to eight. Uh, and so I think it was just a, a calculated game plan to account for this specific defense. You're going to get a different test in week 14 when the, the Lions come to town. A totally different test when you go to Cleveland. Another test when the Cardinals come here. And so you're going to be playing different different games each week. Um, I'll turn it over to you for, for kind of your reaction well, I, on the in-house explanation yeah, of, of I, how I that get the explanation. I think is a, it's, it's an overcorrection. I mean, I, I understand football and how it works. I mean, 21 is, is excessive. If that were between 12 and 15 or 10 and 12, I mean, I would get that tendency to do that to account for the things that he described 21 times. I mean, so a lot of the passing yards were were yards that came after the catch, the Which lateral. Was the goal. Yeah. So you could say that that maybe worked that way. Uh, it, it was it was productive. But but I but I think that DJ Moore had 11 catches, 114 yards. Yeah, he had 11 catches. It was great, and he, we, we he, we've demanded that the the best receiver touch the ball a lot and be productive, right? Yeah, but you got to admit, I mean, this is like saying that you, you, this is not the way that it's typically done. I mean, this is unorthodox, to- totally unorthodox to get 11 catches and get your guy involved, your number one guy involved that way. I, I just don't think that you're going to make much progress against good teams unless you can throw the ball down the field. And yes, yesterday they proved once, one time really, that they can throw the ball down the field when they had to. The rest were very horizontal, and eventually that becomes redundant. And I I, I just think that, you know, it, it to me it was like, well – Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I just, I just think it was too many, and, and I don't think, I, I think it was, it was just excessive, excessive number. Twenty-one is a lot out of how many pass plays they ran. Sixty-eight plays, and twenty-one of those pass plays were at or behind the line of scrimmage. You were talking, you know, that's that's Third, a little yeah. bit around thirty, thirty percent. Yeah. yeah, well, it, I, I I won't push back heavily on that. It's just I think it's fair. Um, and look, like you you have an intricate understanding of all this. Uh, it's helpful to bring it to to the listeners as well in, in a way that, that that they hopefully understand philosophically what what the intent was. My favorite play of the night is uh, outside of the thirty six yarder to DJ Moore is the completion to Cole Komet on fourth and ten. There's several reasons why that was. Number one, you converted fourth and ten on a play where. Cole did a great job of getting out in a pattern after staying in to, to, to be help uh, on the pass protection. Justin did an amazing job of feeling pressure from his left side, where we heard this before against the Vikings and drifting to his right in order to make that throw throws wide open. He gets there. You push, you, you push the ball down the field. Not only did they convert four, fourth and 10, but just a couple minutes earlier, it was second and 27. You know what I mean? And so for this offense to go ahead and overcome second and 27 and get a first down and continue that drive and go down and score points, that's strides in the right direction. There's things that you're seeing from Justin Fields right now that are undeniable um, signs of growth. We've talked about the scramble and throw aspect, you know, extend plays with your legs and then make it with your arm. Did that three or four times on, on, uh, 
Monday night, including the first play of the game-winning drive to DJ Moore, which is a 16-yarder that goes overlooked because of the way the game ended. Really nice play to extend a play and then find his guy and, and, and laser it. The question is just this hourglass that we keep talking about is how much time is left to show enough growth to change the minds of the people that have to make these landmark decisions within a matter of, you know, six or seven weeks here. And so this is uh, it, it's all fascinating because it's all quickly leading to a climax of a movie that I think we all wish could last another two, three hours. <laughs> and let's face it. I mean, there, there's also an element of reality that seeps in is that your evaluation of Justin Fields will also be dictated by where you are drafting and how you evaluate the Correct. potential replacements because life is all about what your alternative is. So if you don't have a better alternative after you've scouted Caleb Williams uh, or after you've scouted Drake May or maybe you've looked at the free agent class of quarterbacks, my sense is it's only going to be a drafted quarterback that high that would threaten Justin Fields uh, as, you know, the as a starting quarterback for the Bears. So you know, we could get to the end of the season and he could show some signs of growth, some signs of inconsistency still. And yet we're not going to really know, perhaps, uh, if it's still kind of vague what they think until they go through the vetting process of both those quarterbacks who are available. And I and I don't know the answer to those questions. I know what I think by watching Saturdays. Yeah. You, you don't really know that much by watching Saturdays in glimpses because we haven't seen or studied that enough to have a real informed opinion that's worth anything. And this is another factor in this whole decision. The Bears, with their own pick, may wind up picking like eighth. You know what I mean? They may win a couple more games against weak opponents down the stretch and, and improve their record to a point where they're there. And if, say, they had gotten to the end of the season and the Panthers had not fallen apart in a way that made them fire their coach after 11 games, and say they were picking like ninth, and they, the Bears had the eighth and ninth pick, that also changes the dynamics of what decisions are available to you. And it may change the dynamics of what decision you ultimately make. And so, like I say, they have the, the, this freedom right now that in some ways is empowering. In some ways it could be paralyzing because my God, like now you've got so many things that you can consider. And it's very rare that an NFL general manager walks into an off season with the complete array of every possible decision available to him. And yeah, that's true. I don't know if that's a good problem or a bad problem. <laughs> right, right. Like it's 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 probably a good problem to have, but it's not one I would want. <laughs> right, right. 